<clears throat> Thank you, Brother Pat. Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to begin with reading the, the first verse all the way through verse ten, verses 10. Uh, that way we remember the context of this passage. It says, Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also with the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest just as he has said. As I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day and God rested on the seventh day from all his works and again in this passage they shall not enter my rest therefore since it remains for some to enter and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience he again fixes a certain day today saying through david after so long a time just as has been said before today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come before you this morning, Lord, we uh, come to worship to see Christ high and lifted up, Lord, to see His uh, magnificence and His radiance shining. In these passages, God, we just ask that You would give us a great deal of discernment, Lord, and wisdom of Your Spirit to understand these things and to see Christ in them, Lord, to be captive to the cross and to the Master who has gone to the cross. Lord, that we would truly devote ourselves uh, not just with our lips, Lord, but with our hearts and with our minds and with our bodies in service to Jesus Christ and His kingdom. God, we pray for forgiveness of our sin and our iniquity, Lord, as we know that it is not against any mere human man, but if we have it, Lord, as we do, it is against the great holy God. And we just ask, Lord, because of Your promises and Your Word, Lord, because of your person, that you would grant us forgiveness. Lord, give to us this righteousness that is Christ. Make us more holy. Lord, and we pray for those who aren't here this morning that you would, by the power of your Spirit, testify the truths of Christ to them. Lord, that you would minister unto them. God, that you would provide 
uh, the physical healing as you would see fit according to your will, that you would be glorified in it, and that Christ would be exalted. Lord, we just ask that you would bless us through the reading and study of your word, Lord, and that you would set aside the things of the world, that we would truly uh, come here together to worship Christ and for nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. very interesting because the passages that we read seem to be very repetitive over the last few weeks and I had been feeling sort of guilty about preaching verse by verse because it seems sometimes that I would be preaching in fact the same message to which I was ensured that is what I do every week right preach the same message and as I thought about it more and more if it was needful for the the penman and for the spirit uh, to give these verses in such a repetitive uh, manner it must be so that we would preach them and maybe they seem repetitive maybe it's because uh, these things are as important as we see and maybe even more so important and what we're seeing from really the beginning of chapter one is the promise of rest, but we also realize that the promise of rest cannot come unless we are heeding the warning that had come from chapter 3, the warning of unbelief. And Brother Pat said something this morning as he opened up, oh, I think it was one of the first sentences during Sunday school. And what he said was really profound, and I think it fits so well with what we've been studying. He was talking about the people of God, the church, as we consider the gospel, moving uh, from observance of the gospel to obedience to the gospel. And isn't that exactly what we see in chapter 3 to chapter 4 of Hebrews? The gospel has been preached. The people of God, uh, as it is referencing back in Psalm 95, even those of the captivity in Israel coming out of captivity, being given this promise, yet we're told many times they fell because of unbelief because they were exactly what Pat was talking about this morning. They were observers of the gospel and they were hearers of the gospel and they maybe even knew the gospel, but they were not obedient to the gospel. How how can we say be obedient to the gospel? Because we know that the gospel is news, and it's kind of like saying be obedient to to a message. Well, it's quite simple because the gospel is Jesus Christ. So to say that we're obedient to the gospel must also mean that we're obedient to the master, the sum and the substance of the gospel, who is the person of Jesus Christ. In, in literal sense, we can boil that down and we can distill it, and the message is that we can no longer be just hearers of the word but doers only. We cannot be observers of the gospel, but we must be obedient to the Christ who is the gospel the living word it really changes Hebrews chapter 4 to see the movement from the danger of disobedience to the rest in Christ the sad truth is that many people have perverted the rest that is talked about here just like many 
so-called churches will water down the gospel, they have watered down the promise of rest. They have watered down the promise of rest, one, because it makes it more palatable, it makes salvation and lack of obedience makes Christianity easier, and it also distracts the person from their obedience in that it, it causes us to be less responsible when we see the rest of Christ in some alternate light, some failing light, some reflective light rather than the essential light that is Christ. And the more that I've read chapter 4, excuse me, I have a cough drop, the, uh, the more that the rest of Christ seems something worth looking forward to. But also, when we see the rest of Christ, it is my aim this morning in, in seeing that promise that we see just how diligent we are called to be in laboring for Christ. For the rest that is mentioned is not a rest that has been seen yet. It is not a rest that has been obtained. Though it is procured in Christ, it is yet to be fulfilled for those who would hear the gospel this morning. I want to begin looking as we covered some of this last week, but verse six is, <clears throat> verses 6, 7, and 8. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter. This is an epistle given to those who have heard the very same gospel that has been preached to those who have fallen in the wilderness. It is even the very same gospel that has been preached to those who by Joshua have entered Canaan, that promised land. And what we see is the text is very clear. It says, therefore, since it remains for some to enter, they have not entered. What is it telling us? Some have not entered. Some have entered and some will enter. How do we know who is who? Well, we must be familiar with more than just this one passage. We must be looking back in Psalm 95. Let's go there. What a great labor the men of Christ before us, that they would write these words down. And just so we know, they would put them in italics so that we know this is a quote from somewhere else. And you know what? It, in some ways, it makes lazy Christians. This is how the rest of Christ can be so easily perverted because we don't know what it's talking about. We don't know where it comes from. We take for granted the modern translation with the titles and the quotes and the chapters and the verses but we look at psalm 95 it says go come let us sing for joy to the lord let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation now think about this in psalm 95 it is an exact reference in hebrews chapter 3 and 4 to what we're seeing here this morning and what does the first sentence the first verse tell us that this is about salvation now what we have to see is that this is this passage in hebrews chapter 4 if it is about salvation 
we must soon come to understand that it is about a salvation that is by grace through faith and not of works. What does that do? Well, if we understand that this salvation in Psalm 95 is the exact same salvation that was spoken to those of Israel, that is spoken in the gospel today, then that must mean it is a gospel of grace by faith. If it is grace by faith, and that is exactly what it is because the previous verses tell us that some had heard but not been accompanied with faith, this hearing. And what it meant is they weren't saved. So what we see, if there is salvation, it must be salvation by faith. It must be by grace alone. And that means it must be in Christ alone. So Psalm 95, before Christ has ever taken flesh, is talking about the salvation that He has made certain on the cross. The very first words, the rock of our salvation. You know, if salvation was by something else, if it were by uh, man's works, it couldn't say here the rock of our salvation. It would say the rocks. And really, it would say the pebbles. Because there would be nothing like a rock. If it was salvation by any other means than the perfect Son of of God, Jesus Christ, then it couldn't be singular and it couldn't be so specific. But here it tells us, the rock. Same salvation for any man who has ever been saved from Adam to the end, to the last man. Let us come, here it is, before His presence. Let us come before His presence. Now we've heard His message, and that's what Hebrews 3 and 4 is talking about. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 is talking about. We've heard the message of Jesus Christ, and now the psalm is telling us, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. You know what? Hearers of the gospel who have not been saved don't come into His presence. I'll tell you this, there is an issue with those who may be saved and we don't know who won't even come to gather with his people this morning. Not just here. In a lot of churches. That really bothers me and should bother you and it should bother them because we are called to come before his presence. And I'll show you how this ties into the text later. It says, with thanksgiving, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. That which salvation is based upon and built up from, this is the rock who is Jesus Christ and no other no other man. And I'll present to you this morning that there are some issues with the Greek rendering sometimes in the translations, and that is why your Bible will talk about Joshua being Joshua the son of Nun because the, the, the translation, the transliteration is, is the same as Jesus in some text because that is what we, that's how we get Joshua, Yeshua. It's, it's actually the same, but there needs to be no conflict. This is why the Bible says the son of none, because the rest that is being spoken of this morning is a final rest. It's an eternal rest. It's a, a powerful, divine rest, and it's of Christ. Let us shout joyfully to him, Psalms, for the Lord is a great God. Who is the rock of our salvation? The Lord. There is no prophet aside from Christ. There is no priest aside from Christ. There's no pastor. There's no deacon, church member, who will ever be accredited with being the rock of your salvation. 
there is no man of mere mortal flesh who can ever take any credit for the salvation of himself or anyone else. It says here, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. This is Jesus Christ. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Why would someone bow down to Jesus Christ if salvation was not his and his alone? It wouldn't happen. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is God. Do you see how well Psalm 95 is describing what is even a better description in Hebrews chapter 1? This Jesus the Christ. It says, And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. Some will not enter. Some have not entered. Therefore, it remains for some to enter it, the text says. And those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Can we see here that it's very clear in Hebrews that the one who is saved by Jesus Christ is changed by Jesus Christ and he is where once disobedient, now obedient? How many times do we need to see the word obedient to see that the Christian is called to look like something other than what they used to look like, to act like something other than how they used to act, to portray someone who they used to not know, and this is Jesus. I think about salvation, and as I thought of it this morning, you know, we're called to labor. We're not called to be set free from the curse this side of heaven. Somehow we no longer have to work. The same is true when we're saved. We must continue to work for Christ. And that is our responsibility at every age, at every point in life as those called to Christ called to the ministry of the gospel. And it's such a, a bad thing that people would look at God, look at Jesus the Christ, and say that somehow he has created man. There are people that believe this. Somehow he has created man, has called man to worship him, called man to glorify him, and yet somehow, although the text said that we're in the, the palm of his hand is what we see in Psalm 95, meaning he could cover us up or he can let us loose, nothing beyond his grip, really the 
rendering of what is being said there. And yet they say God cannot cause man to be saved. What a foolish statement. I would submit to you that the picture of the rest that we have in Christ is not only showing us the rest that is at the consummation when the death of this mortal body has occurred and we have met our Savior and we enter into this eternal rest. But if that is true, then we must look at this life as something a little different than how we see it. We must look at it as work. And I would submit to you that if God is calling His people to work because they can do something, just like your boss tells you what to do when you do it just like hopefully the women are submissive to their husbands how can we look at god and say that he has done his work and then he has removed his hand from it that doesn't happen does it even the man that starts at the the lowest part of the totem pole with a company he may start out as delivery driver and one day end up as chair or president ceo just because he's gone from the bottom and he has finished the the hard labor does it mean that he does not see that that he ceases to look out over what is happening in his work absolutely not i would say that this is the same with christ the promise of rest is built upon a labor of love. And we must see it. It says that they formerly had the good news preached and failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... He would not have spoken of another day, excuse me, after that. This is so that we do not confuse the rest of Joshua, the rest of Moses, the rest of what we call the Sabbath, to be confused with the greatest rest of all. That is in Jesus Christ. And you know, the privilege that we have as being those who have heard the gospel is that we have the greatest rest and we know the greatest rest that these had seen and and maybe it was so veiled to them because the messiah had yet to come but we have the greater rest in moses a greater rest in joshua a greater rest in those who have been brought out of the wilderness because we are looking not simply for that rest because we know if that's all we're looking for we'll be disgruntled just like these people. But we're looking for another rest. And if we're looking at the rest to come, then that means also we're looking at this world as the workplace. We're looking at this failing, falling world as the globe in which God will provision His gospel to save men. Some will say, well, if that's the case, This earth is failing. Why work at all? Because the truth is, the work that we do is not for this world. It's not for the prince of the power of this air. 
This is for the king who is now and was and is to come. This is the Christ who is eternal, who continues to live. And what we see is that we have the same gospel. This is not a new gospel. <coughs> this is not a, a better gospel. The text is being very clear that this is the same message given to every man since the beginning of time. This is the same promise of rest, but it now has a greater picture, a greater revealing, if you will, a greater revelation in the Christ who has come, who has died, who has been buried and resurrected and now ascended. And he's telling us our faith has to be married with this gospel. In fact, that if there is no faith, for us there is no good news. This is the gospel preached in this testament and in the old. No different. The truth is that there has been from the beginning of time those who have profited by belief and hearing of this gospel. And then there are some, like we read this morning, who it profited them not. Some have seen and and grasped and taken hold of the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ, and others will not. Faith is necessary, and that is what Hebrews chapter 4 is telling us. Faith is a requirement. The truth is that for some who do not have faith and who do not have obedience to Christ, their profession is nothing but a wavering profession. Excuse me. If we have a wavering profession, that means exactly this. Our yeas are not yeas and our noes are not noes. It means we are mere men being moved by our flesh. There is no diligence. There is no responsibility. There is no working with a hearer of the gospel who does not have faith. Faith always true saving faith will produce and will with it have both profitability for in the life to come and it will have as a as a consequence if you will obedience to christ there is no other way and the text is telling us that For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. And that is what is true. Joshua was speaking of a rest that these people could not comprehend because they were not looking to the Messiah. Now what I want us to see is that if there is a rest to come, then that means there is a work to be done now. There was a call upon the church. And you know what? We would not be doing the gospel of service if we would only look for the, for the benefit that we have in the rest if we were not looking for what is happening for Christ when there is no rest. The rest is for the one who has labored. That is what Christ did. That is what God has done. Six days after laboring, did he rest? And we're talking about, boy, I can't wait till Friday. Isn't that the attitude we have? I can't wait till the rest. God is saying those who are trusting in Christ have a joyfulness. That's what Psalm 95 was talking about. There is a joyfulness, yes, in the rest, but there is also in the labor because the rest means nothing if the labor is not fruitful. 
How many people, it's a reality, I know them, hate the weekend because they didn't get enough during the week. Their labor wasn't fruitful. How many people are so dissatisfied with the rest because it profits them nothing? You know, that's the reality when we labor for the flesh. We're never satisfied. There is never any rest, but I would submit to you that there is a great rest. And that is wonderful. It's wonderful because we'll be worshiping, glorifying God in Christ as we're in heaven, singing with the host, the heavenly host. But I tell you, it is just as important to labor, to labor before the rest. God has created. God has done all of his work in creation. And, you know, we come together and we say, and I think it's monumental that it's, it's said in the Acts as we consider the Sabbath and we have some freedom it is in Christ and it says, you know, one man esteemeth one day greater than the other. Let each be decided in his own mind. But the apostle said that we met on the first day of the week. And this was their rest, right? This was their Sabbath. Now, what we know is that the picture of the Sabbath, the seventh day rest, is just one of the Sabbaths. And the completion, the totality, these are just a foreshadow for the real rest that is in Christ, that is an eternal rest. But what we see is that they met on the first day, and I would submit to you that the rest tells us a whole lot about the life of the church. How is that? Because, one, if there is rest, there must be labor. And secondly, that these guys said, you know what, it's important for us to assemble during this time of rest. Why? Because the time of labor for the Christian, today is not a day of laboring. Can we agree on that? Today is not the day of laboring. The time for a Christian to labor is in the world, not of the world, in the world. What are the apostles doing? They have shown us a picture of the rest that is preceding and foreshadowing that rest to come because they are coming at the first day of the week to be rested up, to be well-fed and well-nourished together under the sound of the gospel, together under the preaching of Jesus Christ, together under the Spirit's nurturing and admonition of the Lord, so that when they leave for that second day, they can labor for Christ. Reminded the very first day of who they are working for. Being filled with who they are working with and by. Because if they do not assemble, it's easy to forget. This is why working for home doesn't always work so great for people, because they forget this is a real job. There is a real boss. And if you're not <clears throat> very well disciplined, and you're not reminded of who he is on a regular basis, you may slip off into doing your own thing. Do you see how the church is being called under the promise of the rest of Jesus Christ to be obedient to every word of God and most certainly the assembly? The assembling of ourselves together is so important and so 
tied to the rest of Christ because we are to come together to, to see the needs of the body so that we can, during the week, we can attend to those needs so that we can lift one another up so that we can be prayerful because the rest of the week we will be working for the kingdom of God. church doesn't do that very often professing church i would say <coughs> god has finished his work and if you shall so live longer on this earth you have just begun that is the reality of the rest that is in christ the rest is only rest if we're laboring the Spirit is moving us to do what we are called to do, and that is both worship and glorification as well as evangelism. The promise of rest here is not guaranteed in a mere man, be it Joshua or Moses, but it was spoken of as to being another day. This is the the true rest of grace in God. <coughs> the truth is that if we have a Sabbath once a week, that that is very gracious of God to give us that. But it is more so gracious that He gives for eternity the rest of Christ in heaven, in the presence of God. This is the rest of grace. This is a rest of comfort this is a rest of holiness this is a rest of surety this is a rest of hope and you know what the reality is it is no longer at this point a rest in faith and that's what the the reality is we're called to have uh this gospel preached to us and respond with faith and obedience and at the point when the rest is met the faith is replaced faith is hope and certainty of something yet to come and what the rest is saying is have that faith until the hope has come until christ is seen until the gospel has met with its feet and its wings its savior the truth of the rest is saying that there is something yet to be obtained and christianity doesn't look it it's faith in that way in fact many christians will hear the gospel or professing christians let me be clear they will hear the gospel and they will say that they're saved and the reality is that they have no faith and therefore if they have no faith no rest can come to them and they are sitting waiting and hoping for something that will never be had because they simply did not truly trust in Christ. How do we know because they did not work for Christ? How do we know because they didn't assemble? Their lives weren't changed. There were no works. There was no love. There was no obedience. Isn't that what we're called to do? if we simply look to the rest of Christ as something to be obtained and we say that, yes, I'm saved and now I have the rest in Christ, we're saying that we have it all. 
And what the text is saying is that you need faith until you get it all. Until you see Christ. And not just with spiritual eyes, but see face to face. The Savior, the rock. And now the rest of God becomes a very wonderful and motivating and powerful and thing to desire to truly covet without sin because we're saying you know what god you have given me faith until i can make it to the rest what you have given me is a yearning for your word a desire to work and that's what we do with with any type of rest i mean just even in the the sin cursed world as we sweat and labor we do so because we know at the end of the week there is a wonderful rest. And I would submit to you, Christian, what do we do with the promises of God? With the commandments of the boss? I hate to even say it that way, but it's, that's the reality of what Christ is to be as Lord. He is reigning over and He has called us to do so many things. And all we do is we look and it's like, it's like when you first get hired, you want to know how many vacation days you get. That's the first question a lot of people ask. This is what the Hebrews were perverting the rest of Christ to look like. Oh, well, that was all, we already got that, you know. Didn't you hear about Moses? Didn't you hear about Joshua? We already got that rest. And the Bible is saying, no, that is not what it is. You can't come to Christ and just stop and have the vacation days and have the rest and have the eternity. No, there's something that we're missing in between hearing the gospel and responding with faith and repentance and obedience and the rest of God. And what we are missing is taking up the cross. Taking up the cross. In fact, if, if you haven't taken the burden and the load of sin and guilt and set it down at the foot of Christ and taken up your cross and bared a new burden, what are you resting from? What are you resting from? Because the reality is that the unbeliever says, I'm good. You ever thought about that? Even people who don't believe in God's moral code and everything that god says is good they think that they're all right spiritually speaking if there is a heaven to them because they're good man wants to be good man's just got the bad wrong idea about what good is because man thinks something is good rather than someone is good jesus said it why do you call me good there's no one good but god If that's the case, Christ has come after creating everything that has been created. He has taking, taken upon himself flesh and taken upon himself the sinfulness of man. He's gone to the cross. He's drank the bitter cup of God's wrath in its fullness, not a drop left. 
dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, and what I can remember is that he says, it is finished. And I say to you, we read the word, this very word that became flesh, and he gives us so much instruction. At what point can we say it is finished? It's finished when he says it's finished. It's finished when he calls us home. That is the rest. We have to look at this and say the rest is wonderful. But what I am doing today. And that's what the text says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What I am doing today is what makes the rest so wonderful. Because I will be a slave to righteousness. I'll be a slave to Christ. I'll become all things to all men that some might be saved. If it be that I die for Christ, I'll die for him for the glory of God. If it be that I dig a ditch, it will be for the glory of God. If it be that I suffer in pain, it will be for the glory of God. Because the rest is in Christ to come. There is our hope. There is the rest. There is the promise. These people were so urgently looking for the promise of rest that they could only see till tomorrow and what was right in front of them. And what the promise of true rest is saying, not only am I in front of you, but I am here. This day, the next day, and the day to come, this is an arrest, a rest for eternity. We're not looking for a seventh-day rest. I'm looking for an eternal rest in Christ. The part that we miss is all the rest. We want to confess. We want to go to heaven. No labor in between. What a sad day for one who would call himself a Christian. The fact is if we've heard this good news, this good news has been preached to us, the text is very sure that we will be obedient to Christ. If you love me, I say it many times, I feel it necessary almost every week to say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why? Because I don't do it. Why? Because you don't do it. Why did Christ say it? Because we don't do it. Some people would reason that the Sabbath is the rest, and we see that that is not at all what is being spoken of. But what we see here is a rest that is in Jesus Christ, a rest that shall be obtained when the Lord appears from heaven for some. They're called up. And for others at the death of the mortal body when they become present with the Lord. This is the rest that is spoken of. This is the end of faith. And the beginning of a new life. An eternal life. It's a rest not yet obtained. And there's the problem. Too many Christians will meet today. And in their midst, welcome the unbeliever into the church. And they will give an altar call. 
and profess that they believe in the Lord and think that there's the rest. I'm done. And that is not what it is. very easy to see why that is not the rest because it says that we cannot be tempted beyond what the Lord will prepare us and provision us with to overcome it if we were resting he wouldn't have to give us a provision if we needed to pray like we do then there would be no rest there right all the things that the Bible is telling us we need in Christ daily. Why do we need daily bread if we're resting? If we're filled? The reality is the Bible is calling us in Hebrews chapter 4 to a promise of rest, not to focus on the rest, but to focus on the promise. Not to focus on the trials and tribulations that will end in eternity but to focus on the promise who is Jesus Christ. And what does that mean if we're focusing not on the rest that is in eternity, but on the promise who is here now and who was and who is to come? We're resting, we're trusting, we're looking at the promise who is Jesus Christ, and we never have to shift focus. So many people miss that, the promise of rest, and they focus on the, on the last part of it, the of rest. They call that some kind of call, prepositional phrase, I think is what it's called. When in fact the subject is the promise, the Christ, the Savior. And you know what? When you're looking at Him, you'll know when the rest is here, but you're not so much worried about it. We're focusing on the promise, the Christ, who is now and who is to come, and that is why the rest is so sweet. The rest ain't so sweet without the promise, without the Christ. The Christ who we serve now and the Christ who will exalt and lift up and worship even in the rest. You know what that also means? That if you come here or if you go anywhere else and you see your worship to God as a labor, you missed the point. Salvation might not be yours. This is not a labor. It is a privilege. We sing it. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. This is not just about prayer. This is about being before the Lord now and forever in the rest and before it ever happens. The promise now, how do I know that that's exactly what's being said here? Because Hebrews even started a, a chapter or two back. Remember, Jesus, this apostle and high priest of your confession. He doesn't say, remember the rest that's coming. Remember the promise. Who is this promise? And that's what the message is about. Even the people who fell in the wilderness, they had this promise. The promise of the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God who would come in the flesh. And you know what? Everybody, everybody wanted to kill him. In Egypt, firstborn, get him out of here. Moses lives. 
Only so long as we can see the lineage progress through David and then to Jesus himself, the son of David. What is the promise? The promise is the same promise from the beginning of time that Christ would come and redeem those who are his. That Christ would come and do the will of God. And I would submit to you that if that's what Christ did in his laboring, that he came to the earth to do the will of God, to save the people of God, to bring righteousness, how are we to look like that? Should we not also desire to be righteous? Should we not also desire to serve God? Should we not also, because of this promise, desire to serve Him as He says? What He says. Not how we want to serve, but how He says to serve. That means, yes, looking for rest, but not now. Teaching people about this Jesus Christ. Worshiping this Jesus Christ. Being submissive in every way imaginable to this Jesus Christ. No rest in man no rest in Joshua, no rest in Moses. And I'll tell you, if you're not here for Jesus this morning, this is no Sabbath. No rest even here. The rest is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The fullness of that heavenly promise. The babe who came, who preached, who suffered and died and resurrected and ascended. That is the Jesus. And the focus is not on the rest, but on the promise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this day, Lord, we're thankful uh, for Jesus Christ because without him there is no true rest. Lord, without him there's no righteousness, there's no salvation. Man can do nothing, uh, Lord, but bring chastisement to himself. God, this day we offer ourselves lord as a living sacrifice to jesus christ lord to do your will for your kingdom for your namesake lord that you would be high and lifted up that you would be reverenced as the only holy triune god god of abraham isaac moses every godly man before the one who created this earth the one who breathed life into Adam and has required of every Adam since his life. Lord, in obedience to your word. Lord, in sin, death. God, we can only come before you with joy and thankfulness for what Christ has done. Lord, if we suffer every day until the death and we see life and eternity how much do we owe? The truth is none because Christ has paid it, but the other side of that coin is that we will forever be grateful. And you have called us to your righteousness, Lord, as servants, as slaves. Lord, I just pray that because of Christ, because of his goodness, that those of this church, God, those of your true church, would be the happiest, most joyful of slaves.
God, that we would be a, a people in slavery to a master who is loved like no other slave master. That the master of our righteousness, Jesus Christ, will be loved and uplifted and exalted like no other. God, we ask that you would make us like him. That you would conform us to the image of your son truly. Lord, not just on the outside, but the spiritual image. Draw us closer to you, O God. Make us more righteous, more holy, and more perfect. Not that we may boast in ourselves, but that we may boast in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would have a hungering for your word, but only because the word is Christ, our true daily bread, the bread of life, living water. God, we thank you for your work, creation. Lord, we thank you for your work in righteousness, your work in the lives of believers, God, and we just ask that you would uh, continue such a work until you call us home, Lord, and that we would truly worship you and that today you would receive that worship, Lord, that you would be pleased by it, that your name would be made known amongst the world. People would truly say that there is something about the name of Jesus that is both wonderful and perfect, fulfilling. God, we pray for those who couldn't be with us today, Lord, that your hand would be upon them, that you would bless them. Lord, that even this day many would come to know Christ through the faithful preaching of the Word and the other local assemblies around this world. God, we know that even on this day, Lord, people will come to know Christ and we, we worship you for it. We thank you for it, Lord. We ask also, Lord, that you would bless us as we partake of this temporal meal. Lord, that it would nourish us just as long as we may come back, Lord, and be fed with true spiritual food. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that we have in Christ. Lord, and to you we ascribe all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.